All right, precious be our loving Abba, that we are gathered once again to study his words and his commandments. So welcome to another episode of the BQA Bible Questions and Answers. Uh, tonight, we have two questions that we're going to address, one of which is, does Elohim mean Trinity? But before we address that question, let's address this one first concerning the Sabbath and Brother Felix Y. Manalo. And this was submitted by a viewer who was who wanted to know what the position of Brother Felix Manalo is, what arguments he used uh, to teach that we no longer should observe the Sabbath. And so this was presented to me as a question, and I will share it with you. If you can see on the screen, the question is in Tagalog, bakit nga ba hindi itinuro ng kapatid na Felix Manalo? Una, hindi po itinuro ng Panginoon sa Kristo. Hindi rin po siya nangilin sa araw ng Sabbath. Dahil kung nangilin siya, magkakasundo sana ng mga parisyo ang Kristo. 1.9.16 Ang mga alagad niya ay hindi po rin nangilin. Nagpaalala ang Apostle Pablo na huwag magpasakop, para, huwag magpasakop sa araw ng pamamahinga o Sabbath. Colossians 2.16 Ang sabi pa ni Apostle Pablo, bakit muling nangababalik kayo doon sa mahihina at walang bisang mga pasim pasimulang aral? na sa mga yaong ninana uh, sa ninyong magbalik sa pagkaalipin. Galatians 4.9 Tama po ang sugo. Sinunod lang niya ang ginawa ng Panginoon sa Kristo at mga unang Kristiyano. E bakit po nila itinigil ang pangingili ng Sabat? Ito pong sinabi ng Diyos mismo sa English. Ang, and I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. Hosea chapter 2 and the verses 11. So this was the question. And as you can see, this will take some time to answer because it's composed of many other smaller questions. And so let's go ahead and translate it first in English and then look at it piece by piece, sentence by sentence, and we will show you every single statement made here is false. Let's go ahead and translate it in English. Why was it not taught by Brother Felix Manal? This is in reference to the observance of Sabbath. First, it was not taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. He also never observed the day of Sabbath because if he observed the Sabbath, Christ would be in agreement with the Pharisees in John 9.16. His disciples also never observed the Sabbath. Apostle Paul taught that we should not submit to rest or Sabbath, Colossians 2 verse 16. Apostle Paul even said in Galatians 4.9, but now after you have known God or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire to be in bondage? messenger was correct. He only followed what the Lord Jesus Christ and the first Christians did. Eh, why did they stop observing the Sabbath? This is what God himself said in English. I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all her appointed feasts. Hosea chapter 2 and the verses 11. So that's the question, uh, the bulk of it anyway. So let's go ahead and analyze this piece by piece, statement by statement. The first statement that we're going to look at is the one that says, first, it was not taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was not taught by Yahushua, according to those who insist whether Felix Manalo is teaching the right thing when he says, do not observe the Sabbath. And so is it true that the Lord Yahushua Christ did not teach the Sabbath? Well, this is what it says in Matthew 12, verse 12. Well, how much more value then is man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And so if Yahushua did not teach about the Sabbath, then what is this message right here? Did he not teach about the Sabbath? In fact, not only did he teach about the Sabbath, he taught us what was lawful to do on the Sabbath. And what is lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good, to show mercy, 
right? Those are all allowed in on the Sabbath. And so this tells us without a shadow of any doubt, Yahushua did indeed teach about the Sabbath. What also did he teach about the Sabbath? In Mark 2, 27, 28, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. What also did Yahushua teach about the Sabbath? He also said the Sabbath was made for man. And so the Sabbath was made not just for the people of Israel, it was made for man. It is for his benefit. You know, when Yahuwah gives us laws and commands, it's for the benefit of man. You can read that in Jeremiah chapter 7. The commandments of God, including the Sabbath, was made for man. And so what else did Yahushua teach about the Sabbath? That he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so if we want to know how to properly observe the Sabbath, we turn to him, not to the Pharisees, not to, to the Sadducees. We turn to Yahushua because he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And so when we turn to scripture without a shadow of any doubt, with great certainty, with absolute certainty, Yahushua taught about the Sabbath. Those who say Yahushua never taught the Sabbath or taught about the Sabbath makes one thing very clear and obvious. That person did not read the scriptures. Brother or sister, whoever gave this question, I challenge you. Read the New Testament, and you will find Yahusha teaching and doing great things on the Sabbath, okay? So let's put that to rest. Let's go to the next statement. He also never observed the day of Sabbath. Again, not true. We recommend you actually read the Holy Bible. The book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 16. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. Did Yahusha observe the Sabbath? Yes. The Bible says on Sabbath day, he would go to the synagogue. And when he would go to the synagogue on Sabbath day, what would he do? He would read scriptures. This was his custom. What does it mean to say it was his custom? He did this every Sabbath. And what do people typically do on a Sabbath day in Israel during the days of the early Christians? They went to the Sabbath to, uh, to, the, to the synagogue to study scriptures. And so did he observe the Sabbath? Yes. Was it his custom to do it? Yes. What does that mean? Every Sabbath, this is what he would do. Again, we challenge you, read the New Testament, and you will find every Sabbath he went to the synagogue to preach the word of God. So this, there goes uh, statement number two. Yahusha did teach the Sabbath, and also Yahusha observed the Sabbath. Let's go to his next statement, because if he observed the Sabbath, Christ would be in agreement with the Pharisees in John 9.16. You know, I don't think Yahusha will do things and say things to conform to what the Pharisees think and say, right? That's not his, that's not what he's here for. He's here to do the will of Abba. He's not here to follow or to avoid persecution from the Pharisees. In the book of John 9, verse 16, this is what it says. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who was a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Again, we've discussed this again and again, right? We already know the answer. 
the Pharisees said Yahusha did not keep the Sabbath because the Pharisees had a wrong understanding about the Sabbath. And so what did Yahusha do? He corrected their misunderstanding about the Sabbath. This is why he taught the Sabbath to correct the, the wrong idea the Pharisees had about how the Sabbath is to be observed. And where did this teaching come from? That Yahusha HaMashiach uh, taught them about the Sabbath. The book of John 5, 19 to 20. Then Yahusha answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. What he sees the father do, for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. According to Yahusha HaMashiach, when he teaches, when he does works, who is it according to? It's according to the will of Abba. And so Yahusha teaches the Sabbath according to the teachings of Abba. And so what did Yahuwah teach about Sabbath? Well, that's what he follows, and that's what he teaches. And so to teach that Yahusha rejected the Sabbath will make him go against his father. And of course, we know Yahusha, the son of Abba, will never do that because the son loves his father, and the father loves his son. They are in agreement. What Yahuwah taught, Yahusha also taught. Because if we're going to say Yahusha broke the Sabbath and Yahusha did not preach the Sabbath, then he would be against his father. Yahusha would never do that. But the Pharisees, that's what they're accusing Yahusha of, breaking the Sabbath, because they don't have the proper understanding of the Sabbath. So Yahusha came to restore the Sabbath according to the teaching and the will of Yahuwah Abba. Let's go to the next one. His disciples also never observed the Sabbath. Is this true? Again, the one asking the question, I challenge you. Please read the Bible. Read the New Testament. Do not just take somebody's word for it. You know, read the actual Bible. Because if you read the Bible, what shall we see? In the book of Luke 23, 54 to 56, that day was the preparation. And the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. We have disciples of Yahusha here, and what did they do? Bible says they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. And so during the Christian era, disciples of Yahusha kept the Sabbath, who also kept the Sabbath. In Acts 13, now when Paul and his party set sail for Paphos, they came to per Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing uh, from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Question, here in Acts 13, was Apostle Paul already converted to Christianity? What is the answer? Yes, he was already converted. He was a follower of Yahushua. However, even though he's a follower of Yahushua, what did he continue to do? He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day because this is what people do on the Sabbath day. They go to the synagogue and study the words of God. What also? 
proves that Paul kept the Sabbath in Acts 17, 1 to 2. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scripture. So according to the Holy Scriptures, again, we tell you, read the scriptures and you will find the disciples of Yahusha, they did observe the Sabbath. Apostle Paul, because it was his custom, went into the synagogues to observe the Sabbath by reasoning from scripture. So we have the, the disciples of Yahusha who were at the tomb. We have Apostle Paul. We have also the other apostles, Peter, Paul, and James in the book of Acts 15, 19, and 21. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who were turning to God. But we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. And so when there was this controversy about what to do with the Gentiles, they had a council set up, and the conclusion of the council was this. They, were, they instructed the Gentiles uh, to keep away from polluted idols, sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Why those four specific things? Because those four specific things were associated with Gentile or pagan worship. Because back then, in, in the different places where Apostle Paul went to, where Christianity was beginning to spread, there was beliefs, there was pagan ideas and pagan forms of worship that, that used idols, right? Uh, and, sexual, and sexuality, because a lot of their gods, one of the ways by which you joined their cult was through sex, and also from strangled things and from blood, because they offered blood to their gods or false gods. And so this was a fundamental part of what they needed to get rid of so that they can continue to practice true Christianity. And in addition to that, if you notice, the decision was not only must they keep away from these things, it is the expectation that they would go to the synagogue every Sabbath. Why? To continue to study the words of God. And so even during the days of the early Christians, it is evident the early Christians observed the Sabbath. If you will read the New Testament without any doubt whatsoever, you will make the conclusion the disciples of Yahusha observed the Sabbath. Okay, so let's go ahead and go to his next argument or his next um, statement. Apostle Paul taught that we should not submit to rest or Sabbath Colossians 2, verse 16. We've discussed Colossians 2, verse 16 so many times. But let's go ahead and take a look at it. Colossians 2, 16 to 17. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. And so according to this person, we should no longer observe the Sabbath because Apostle Paul forbid that we follow the Sabbath. But is this what Apostle Paul is saying? Is Apostle Paul telling us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, that we are no longer to observe the Sabbath? Is that what it says? Where does it say that? It does not say that. 
what it says is let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. As a matter of fact, what this passage suggests and tells us is that the people to whom Apostle Paul wrote this letter to were practicing what? The Sabbath. And Apostle Paul reminds them, don't let these people, other people, judge you in the way you observe the Sabbath. Why? Why did Apostle Paul have to say that? Why did Apostle Paul remind the followers of Yahushua, the believers who were in Kalos, why did Apostle Paul remind them, do not let these people judge you? Who was he speaking about? Book of Colossians chapter 2. Let's read verse 8 to get the context. Beware lest somehow, or beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Apostle Paul warned the brethren in Kalos about cults and different groups that existed during that time who were convincing them using philosophy, using traditions of men like the Pharisees and basic principles of the world. And so they were using different teachings, teachings not of God, teachings not of the Christ. And they were using these teachings to persuade them to follow the Sabbath in their own ideas or according to their own traditions. And so what were some of these traditions? In Colossians 2, 20 to 23, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And so here Apostle Paul tells us what these groups and cults are using to teach the followers of Yahusha to convince them not to follow the ways and teachings of Apostle Paul. And what were they using? The basic principles of the world. What does that mean? Pagan ideas. What else? They use commandments and doctrines of men. What does that suggest? Pharisees and their ways and teachings. What is included? The appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body. So these are the different teachings, uh, principles of the world that were being used by these cults and other members of certain groups who did not belong with Apostle Paul's uh, assembly of Yahushua. And they were trying to convince the believers to follow the Sabbath according to their teaching. But Apostle Paul says, no, let no one judge you. Because there are those who say, okay, follow the Sabbath, but do it this way. And there were those who were saying, no, you don't need to follow the Sabbath anymore. Apostle Paul says, let no one judge you about that. And so this tells us Apostle Paul was reminding the early followers of Yahushua to follow the Sabbath according to Christ. But wait a minute, brother. One might say, they say, and they point to the Sabbath and the festivals as a shadow. You, you notice verse 17, it says, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. They also use verse 17 to teach that the Sabbath and the festivals 
are no longer to be observed. Why? Because it's a shadow. And the substance is who? Christ. And so if the substance, who is Christ, has already come, there's no longer need for a shadow. However, when we look at this passage, it is incorrectly translated. What do I mean? Well, let's go look at the Greek of Colossians 2.17. This is what it says. The part that says shadow, that's translated correctly. But notice uh, where it says, which are a shadow of coming things. Take note that these, the, uh, the uh, Sabbath and the festivals are a shadow of coming things, things to come, right? So it's going to be fulfilled when? In the future. It's point to, pointing to a future reality. And then he goes on, the but reality is of Christ. In the New King James, it's translated substance. Here, it's translated reality. But when you look at the actual Greek word, what is the Greek word used? It is what? Starts with letter S. Soma. What is soma? In, what is the Greek word soma? What does that mean in English? When we look at Greek strongs, definitions, English words, it means body, bodily, slave, the body as a sound whole. And so the word soma which in some translations is depicted as substance or reality. In the actual Greek, it means what? Body, which makes a lot of sense. Because for you to have a shadow, you need to have what? A body, right? You cannot have a shadow without a body. This is why that translation makes the most sense. So we can rephrase the translation to this. These are a shadow of the coming things, but the body is the Messiah's. And so when we look at it from this point of view, understanding that soma means body and not substance, we can make this conclusion. Yahusha is not the quote-unquote substance in place of the unsubstantial biblical feasts and Sabbaths, right? Because if you were to think of Yahusha being the substance and the feast and the Sabbaths being the shadow, it makes it appear that when the substance is here, the shadow is no longer needed, right? It's, no, it's, it's considered unsubstant, unsubstantial, but it's not substance that is used. It is body. And so rather, Yahushua is the body that casts the shadow. There would be no shadow without the body and vice versa. The body does not replace. <laughs> the body does not replace the shadow. On the contrary, the continued existence of the shadow is contingent on the body. Likewise, Colossians states that the arrival and presence of the Messiah undergirds the legitimacy of biblical peace. And so this tells us the use of the word shadow in coordination with the word body tells us the two are connected and does not replace one another. And so Colossians 2.17 alludes to the universal observance of the biblical holidays and Sabbaths when the Messiah inaugurates the world to come. In other words, the feasts and the Sabbaths, they're memorials, and they're also what again? Rehearsals. This is what we talked about in depth in BHP 125, the dual purpose of Abba Yahuwah's feast. Uh, those who have not watched this, please watch it to give you an in-depth explanation of Colossians 
chapter 2, 16 down to 17. Let's go to the next point. Uh, Apostle Paul even said, Galatians 4, 9, but now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements uh, to which you desire again to be in bondage? And so this is in Galatians 4, 9. And so how do they use this verse to teach it? Uh, the observance of Sabbath is no longer needed. Apostle Paul mentions here about weak and beggarly elements. So according to this person, uh, the Sabbath and the commandment concerning the Sabbath is weak and beggarly. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Calling the Sabbath weak and beggarly elements? And that if you observe the Sabbath, you bring yourself back to bondage? I mean, think about that. That's pretty blasphemous. When Yahuwah gave the Ten Commandments that he wrote with his own finger, the Sabbath is the only commandment that served as a sign. All commandments are important, but the Sabbath kind of stood out, right? Because it was the only command that served as a sign for the people of God. And so to call the Sabbath weak and beggarly, that's blasphemous. And so what is Apostle Paul mentioning here? Is he referring to the Sabbath? No. Nowhere in Galatians chapter 4 does he even mention Sabbath. Read the chapter. Read it all. And find out for yourself whether or not it mentions the Sabbath. No, it mentions weak and beggarly elements. What was he referring to when he was talking about weak and beggarly elements? Let's go to 8 to 9. But then indeed, when you did not know God... You serve those which by nature are not gods. And so in Galatians, Apostle Paul at this point, he was addressing the, the uh, Gentiles, the pagan believers who became believers of Yahushua. Before they got converted, they did not know God. And because they did not know God, what did they do? They worshipped uh, the things, they served the things which by nature are not gods. That's what he's referring to as the weak and beggarly elements. What are they? The pagan practices concerning their religion. And so when they became followers of Mashiach, Apostle Paul says he got to get rid of those beggarly elements, right? That's why in verse 9, but now after you have known God, or rather are known by God because they got converted, right? How is it that you turn again? to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. So it's very clear, Galatians 4, 8 to 9, when Apostle Paul said weak and beggarly elements, he's not referring to the Sabbath. How dare we say that about Yahuwah Sabbath? That is blasphemy. What Apostle Paul was referring to when he said weak and beggarly elements, they were referring to the pagan beliefs and practices involved in idol worship, okay? So if you want to know more, because we go in-depth on Galatians 4, 8 to 9, please go to our BHP uh, episode 124, Understanding Apostle Paul. All right, let's go to the last part. The messenger was correct. He only followed what the Lord Jesus Christ and the first Christians did. Why did they stop observing the Sabbath? This is what God himself said in English, and he quotes Hosea chapter 2, verse 11. Let's read Hosea 2, 11. I will cause all her mirth to cease her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all her appointed 
east. And so the Bible says in Hosea chapter 2, verse 11, I will also cause all her birth to cease and her Sabbaths. And so because Yahuwah has caused his people uh, to cease from observing the Sabbath, therefore, during our time today, we no longer should observe the Sabbath. However, when Yahuwah said, I will also cause all her mirth, her happiness, her, her thriving, her prosperity to cease, I will cause her Sabbaths to cease. Why did Yahuwah say this concerning his people Israel? We read 11. Let's read verse 13. I will punish her for the days of the Baals, to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me, she forgot, says Yahuwah. And so when Yahuwah says, I will cause the Sabbaths to cease, why did he say that? Because he's punishing the people of Israel. And why did Yahuwah God punish his people Israel? Because of idolatry, because of Baal worship. And what was the punishment? The punishment was actually mentioned in Hosea 167. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And God said to him, call her name Lo Ruhamah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. What does that mean? Captivity. So the, the uh, punishment of Israel because of their infidelity, because they worship other gods, right, is that they will be taken to captivity. In verse 7, yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah. However, Judah also eventually fell into captivity. And so both Judah and Israel, they were removed from the presence of God, which we can read 2 Kings 17, 18, 20. So Yahuwah was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left. And even Judah did not keep the commands of Yahuwah their God. They followed the practices Israel had introduced. Therefore, Yahuwah rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. So we know that Yahuwah Abba, he punished his people, both the house of Israel and the house of Judah. What was the punishment? He removed them from his presence and gave them into the hands of plunderers. This is why they, were, they became captives, right? And so when Yahuwah said, they're no longer in my presence, what does that mean? In Ezekiel 20, verse 12, moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be assigned between them and me, that they might know that I am Yahuwah who sanctifies them. And so when Yahuwah says, we are to be taken by plunderers, removed from my presence, what is the equivalent of that? Yahuwah no longer considers them sanctified. They cannot enter the presence of Abba. And what is the sign of, what is the sign that Yahuwah gave to his people that point that he is the one who sanctifies them. It is what? The Sabbath. And so when Yahuwah punished them and taken them to captivity, of course, Yahuwah is going to take away what? The Sabbath. That's part of the punishment. And how long was the captivity for? How long? 70 years. And after 70 years had passed, what did Yahuwah do? Yahuwah moved the remnants of his people to be gathered again in Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And during that time, who were the people of God who led this activity? 
We had Nehemiah, remember, Zechariah, and we have uh, Joshua, the high priest. And so we know of notable people, Ezra is also included, people of God that he used so that the, the temple could be rebuilt, the wall rebuilt, and the restoration of the sacrifices in the temple. And so during the days of Nehemiah, which is after the days of Hosea, what happens? Nehemiah 13, 17, 18. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, what evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And so after they left Babylon, gone, has gone back to Jerusalem and started worshiping Abba again. What do they also do, continue to do? They continue to profane the Sabbath. And so Nehemiah was quite upset, right? What did he say? What evil thing are you doing? What does this tell us? The Sabbath was already restored. This is why Nehemiah 13.22, and I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me concerning to the greatness of your mercy. And so at this point, the Sabbath was restored. It was being observed by the people of Allahim. And this observance of the Sabbath continued all the way during the days of Yahusha. This is why when Yahusha went, uh, arrived in, in Jerusalem and in Israel, what was his custom again? What was his custom? To observe the Sabbath, because it was already restored in Hosea chapter 2, verse 11. When Yahuwah says, I will cause the Sabbath to cease, it was because of punishment. But the punishment has been lifted. They have been restored to Jerusalem. And the Sabbath was observed again, all the way during the, to, to the point where Yahusha was also observing the Sabbath, as was his custom. Then he taught the Sabbath because when the Sabbath was reintroduced, certain people began to add regulations because they do not want what happened to them to happen again. They don't want to go back to captivity. And so they learned their lesson, but they went kind of overboard. You know, they added a lot of leaven when it comes to the observance of the Sabbath. And so when Yahushua was preaching about the Sabbath, he removed the leaven and preserved the Torah of the Sabbath. And so that's why uh, the arguments that were presented concerning the, uh, the, we no longer need to observe the Sabbath as taught by Brother Felix Fanalo, when we compared that to scripture, all of those statements that he gave were all false, isn't it? This is why we continue to observe the Sabbath because this is what the, the scriptures tell us and teach us to do. Okay, so that's the first part of our question. Let's go to the next part, which is about a uh, question posed here. Hi, Brother, hi, Brother John. Uh, Timothy of the God culture and Rob Ammon. Uh, I don't know who Rob Ammon is. Forgive me. Uh, both believe and defend the name of Yahuwah Abba and Yahusha HaMashiach and also the Ten Commandments. Uh, specifically the law regarding the Sabbath, also both believe that Yahuwah, Yahusha, and the Holy Spirit as God. Here's what they explain, okay? If you read Genesis, 
when Elohim, Elohim made heaven and earth. That means both Abba, Yahuwah, Yahusha, Messiah, and the Ruach were all part of creation. Most Bible says God, but that is singular and incorrect since Elohim or Elohim is plural, meaning mighty ones. Elohim or Elohim in modern in modern means, in modern means mighty ones, Hebrew 430, and is the original and true title of our creators. So this was presented to me because I asked for the biblical passages that supposedly teach that Yahushua is God or that supposedly teach the Trinity, remember? And what is the Trinity? What does the Trinity doctrine say again? There's one God, but in one God, there are three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so I asked you for passages in the Holy Bible. And so far you have given us several passages and we have discussed uh, those passages in depth and in detail, but we want more. We want more. Please send them in. What other passages supposedly teach that Yahushua is God or that the Trinity is biblical? And so in response to that challenge, we have here a viewer and he is quoting. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's quoting, but he is using an explanation from the God culture and someone by the name of Rob Amon. Okay. Anyways, I'm not familiar with Rob Amon, but I am familiar with God culture and Timothy and, you know, I, I, I respect God culture. I respect Timothy. I mean, the researchers are top notch. Um, but like what they said, which is what I really, really like about uh, their presentations and their shows is to test all things. And so this is what, what we're going to do. We're going to test all things because according to God culture, uh, the Trinity is true. And one of the, the proofs, the biblical proofs of the Trinity is Genesis 1.1. Because in Genesis 1.1, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. But the word God used in Hebrew is Hebrew 4.30, which is a plural noun. And so because Hebrew or the word God, Elohim, is a plural noun, therefore God, singular, and it's also a plural noun, it must be that God has multiple persons, a plurality of persons which gives credence to the idea that the Trinity or the, in one God, there are three persons, okay? So let's go ahead and take a look at this argument in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the word God used there indeed is Hebrew 4.3.0, which means what? Or the Hebrew is Elohim. In ancient Hebrew or Paleo-Hebrew, it's Allahim, right? Modern Hebrew, Elohim. So Elohim, Elohim, it's the same thing. Hebrew 4.30, which is translated God. When you look at the Strong's definition, you find that Elohim indeed is plural. It is a plural noun. And so God, who created the heavens and earth in Genesis 1.1, is God who is a plural noun. Now, does that mean, however, that God being a plural noun, does that mean that God is a trinity? Not necessarily, right? Because to teach that the plurality of the word Elohim means trinity requires fanciful or imaginary and unfounded extrapolation. You have to add a lot of extra stuff because nowhere can we find in the term, trin in the term Elohim 
that God is three, uh, God is one with three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You don't find that in the term Elohim. What you, what you find in the term Elohim is a plural noun. And so to go from plural noun to Trinity, it's a stretch, right? You have to use fanciful thinking, a lot of extrapolation to get there. And so we don't want to do that. Because if that's the strongest argument you have for the Trinity, and it requires a lot of extrapolation, then it's highly unlikely that's what the Bible is actually teaching, especially in light of other biblical evidence. Okay, So the concept of one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is not found in the word Elohim. And it turns out it's not found in all scriptures. As a matter of fact, if we read Deuteronomy chapter 6 and the verses 4, this will be really clear. Because I know God culture believes that the name of the Father is what? Yahuwah. And the name of the Son is Yahusha and the Ruach Kadash. So if it is true that the Holy Spirit, the Ruach Kadash, and Yahusha, the Son, and Yahuwah are all one God in three persons, then how do they explain Deuteronomy 6 verse 4? It says, here, O Israel, Yahuwah, our God, Elohim, right? Yahuwah is one. Notice that? It doesn't say Yahuwah and Yahusha and Ruach Kadash are one. It says Yahuwah is one. He is one God, one Elohim. Yes, it is a plural noun, but in that plural noun, Yahuwah is one. And so it doesn't teach just because the word God is Elohim, plural, it doesn't mean that in one God, you have Yahuwah, Yahusha, and the Ruach Kadash as one God. It doesn't say that, right? You see that? Yahuwah is one. So that's the first rebuttal. Elohim being a plural noun does not mean being a trinity. What else? Well, we, if we will teach that the word Elohim being a plural noun means that Yahuwah or means that God is a trinity, we're going to have a big problem in our hands. Why? The book of 1 Kings 11.33, because they have forsaken me and worship Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes, and keep my statutes and my judgments as did his father, David. This is a big problem to Trinitarians who use the argument that Elohim is a plural noun to teach that Yahuwah, Yahusha, and the Holy Spirit are one God. You know why? Because here it mentions three false gods, right? Who are they? Ashtoreth, Chemosh, and Milcom. Question, Ashtoreth, Chemosh, and Milcom, are they true gods? No. But look at how they are described in scripture and what they're called. Look at Ashtoreth, who happens to be a goddess, right? Ashtoreth, the goddess, what Hebrew word is used? Elohim, H430, the same Hebrew word used for Yahuwah, right? H430, how about Chemosh? Again, Elohim, right? How about Milcom? Again, he's described as Elohim. Does that mean Milcom? Does that mean Milcom and Chemosh and Ashtoreth because they're called Elohim? Does that mean they're also Trinitarians? <laughs> Is uh, Ashtoreth, Chemosh, 
and Milcom, are they all trinities? I mean, if you follow the line of thinking and complete the, the thought process and the argument based on the idea that because it's a plural noun, Elohim, then it must mean that Elohim is a trinity, then you have to agree that Milcom and Ashtoreth and Shemosh are all trinities, but we know that is not true. And here's another problem. The book of Psalms, 82, 1 and 6, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. I said, you are gods and all of you are children of the most high. Here, there's a council taking place and there's God who is the leader. And there are what are called the sons of gods and they're called gods. When you look at the Hebrew, again, God, right? Capital G, what word is there? What word is used? Elohim. H430. And those who work, you know, on behalf of God, they're also called Elohim, H430. And so does that mean all of them are trinities? It doesn't seem likely. No. And so when we look at the meaning of Elohim in the uh, outline of biblical usage, they're used, they're applied. If you look at the Holy Bible, um, the word Elohim is applied to rulers, judges, divine ones, angels, and so-called gods. Are they all trinities? Yes, it's a plural noun, but its application is pretty broad. This is why the term Elohim or Elohim does not necessarily point to the creator, because the term Elohim is applied to many other beings. Who is another being who was referred to as Alahim or Elohim in the book of Exodus 7 1. So Yahuwah said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. Here, Moses is called what? And who called Moses God? It was Yahuwah, right? And what word is used when Moses was called God? Elohim. Wait a minute. So Moses has three personalities Moses 1, Moses 2, Moses 3. Moses the Father, Moses the Son, and Moses the Holy Spirit, and all three are one Elohim? It doesn't seem likely, right? This is why that's our rebuttal number two. Elohim is used for other beings. This is why you cannot claim that because Elohim is a plural noun, that all those who are called Elohim in the Holy Bible means they're trinities. Let's go to another one. What else? What, what else is our argument against this Argument, a rebuttal against this argument. What is the meaning of Elohim? I mean, why is it a plural noun? Does it refer to a plural of persons? We'll now look at the research of scholars, biblical scholars, okay? I know God culture has something against scholars, but uh, they do serve their purposes. In Young's concise critical commentary, Hebrew Elohim, a plural noun, it seems to point out a superabundance of qualities in the divine being. Rather, than a plurality of persons. It is found almost invariably accompanied by a verb in the singular number. So why is Elohim a plural noun? According to scholars, it's not because that there's a plurality of persons, right? But to point to the superabundance of qualities. So the plurality refers to the qualities of that one person instead of a plurality of persons, okay? The NIV study Bible about Elohim, it says, this use of the plural expresses intensification rather than number. 
and has been called the plural of majesty or of potentiality. So it's plural, not in number, not in persons, but plural of majesty. The one being called God or Elohim has mag majestic and great qualities not possessed by a regular person, okay? A plurality of majesties in a dictionary of the Bible by William Smith, the fanciful idea, because this requires a lot of imagination extrapolation, the fanciful idea that Elohim referred to the Trinity of persons in the Godhead hardly finds now a supporter among scholars. Perhaps when this discovery was first made, you know, when something new comes up, maybe a lot of scholars were like gravitating towards that. And then when they did the research, it turns out, no, this doesn't, it's not substantiative. It doesn't hold any value because, and so scholars now are saying it is either what grammarians call the plural of majesty, or it denotes the fullness of divine strength, the sum of the powers displayed by God. And so according to scholars today, when they look at Elohim, yes, it's true. It is a plural noun, but the plurality of that noun does not refer to persons. Instead, it refers to a plurality of majesty, denoting the fullness of divine strength. It's like when you, you know, the, the president of Egypt, you know what the president of Egypt is also called? Well, the president of Egypt is often called your excellencies, which is another way to indicate prestige. And so there's a plurality of majesty, right? And so the phrase um, Elohim being a plural noun refers to the plurality of majesty and not to the plurality of persons. That's number three. Let's go to number four, because the argument is about Genesis 1.1. Who created the heavens and the earth? God, right? God created the heavens and the earth. And God is a plural noun, therefore, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit created the heavens and the earth. In terms of their names, Yahuwah, Yahushua, and the Ruach Kadash all created the heavens and the earth. But let's ask the Holy Bible, who really created the heavens and the earth? Let's read Isaiah 45, 18, for this is what Yahuwah says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am Yahuwah, and there is no other. So according to Yahuwah, or according to prophet Isaiah, who quoted Yahuwah, right? Yahuwah says, I am Yahuwah, there is no other. And so Yahuwah did not say, Yahuwah, I and Yahusha, and the Holy Spirit created the heavens and the earth. No, it doesn't say that. Yahuwah said, there's no other. He is God. So Yahuwah is God. And so the only creator is Yahuwah, the Father. And this was also taught by Apostle Paul. Yet there is for us only one God. Who is that? The Father. Who is that? Yahuwah. Who is the creator of all things and for whom we live. And there's only one Lord, Yahusha Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. And so there's only one creator. Who is that? Yahuwah. And so in Genesis 1, 1, where it says God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Who is that one God? The Father, who is Yahuwah. And so when we look at the argument, does Elohim prove Trinity? No. 
It does not because of these four reasons. Number one, Elohim being a plural noun does not mean being a trinity, okay? It requires a lot of extracurricular imaginative extrapolation. Number two, Elohim is used for other beings. Moses was called Elohim. Number three, Elohim refers to a plurality of majesty and not a plurality of persons. And number four, Yahuwah the Father alone <laughs> created the heavens and the earth. And so we must reject uh, Genesis 1.1 and Elohim as a plural noun as basis for teaching the Trinity. It's not in the scriptures, okay? Now, before we go ahead and part ways today, tonight, I just want you to consider something because we're testing the idea about the Trinity, right? So we have two text proofs here about whether or not there's a Trinity. And here they are. Um, so God culture uses Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and they use God or Elohim as a plural noun, okay? On the other hand, here's Yahusha in John 17, 1 to 3. Yahusha spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. Who is that? The Father, the only true God, and Yahusha Christ, whom you have sent. Okay, let's go ask ourselves. I mean, you be the judge. Test for yourself. We have two proof texts here from the Bible. One Genesis 1.1. One, one in John 17, one to three. Let's ask ourselves, what does the Bible actually teach? Does it favor the Trinity or the no Trinity? Let's look at Genesis 1, one. In the beginning, God, which happens to be a plural noun, created the heavens and the earth. Therefore, the Trinity is true. Test that. Does that make any sense? Doesn't make any sense, right? What does the Trinity say? In one God, there are three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Is the Father God? Yes. Is the Son God? Yes. Is the Holy Spirit also God? Yes. All three are God, but there's only one God. One God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Can you get that doctrine from Genesis 1-1? Yes or no? You cannot. It's not found in there, right? Now, on the part of those who do not believe in the Trinity, when you look at John 17, 1-3, can you make an argument that Trinity is not true based off John 17, 1 and 3? Yes or no? Yes. What does Trinity say again? In one God, there are three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. Look at what the Son says. The Son says two things here, right? Number one, he says the Father is God. Number two, he says the Father is the only true God. And so if the son says the father is the only true God and the son is also God, then doesn't the son contradict himself? Yahushua says the father is the only true God that he was sent, right? Yahushua, the son of God, teaches that Yahuwah, our father, is the only true God. If the son says the father is the only true God, how can there be room for this idea, this concept called the Trinity? There is no room for that. And so, again, brothers and sisters, maybe there's some passages of the Holy Scriptures I'm not aware of. This is why, again, we open a challenge, you know, send us whatever biblical passage you find that you believe teaches that Yahusha or that Yahuwah, or yeah, that Yahusha is God, or that you believe supports the belief of the Trinity. Please send it to us so that we can analyze it together, so that we can remain, so that we can through the process of investigation, 
really hold on to what is the truth. Again, test all things, test all traditions, because one of the oldest Christian traditions there is, is the teaching of the Trinity. It's one of those ancient traditions. This is why I recommend God Culture to test that tradition, because that's one of their mottos, right? To test tradition, test this tradition, the Trinity doctrine. See whether or not it holds uh, any uh, truth to it by using the Bible. The Bible says there's only one God, and he is the Father. Okay, that is our Bible study for tonight. Let us stand, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Abba. Yes, Father. Most holy and gracious Allahim. Yes. Thank you so much for all of your blessings. Yes. Thank you so much for your grace, mercy, and love. Amen. Thank you for directing us to yourself yes. through your beloved son, our King, Mashiach Yahusha. Please, Father, continue to bless our thinking. Yes. As we search the truth, may you send your spirit yes. to open our eyes and our minds. Amen. Our loving King and Mashiach Yahusha, may yes. you be with us as we proclaim boldly your truth. Yes. May you be by our side, especially so we can overcome all persecutions. Amen. Father, please continue to bless our families. Yes. Keep us away from harm and danger yes. and help us in broadcasting proclaiming the truth about you and your son. Amen. We ask everything loving Abba in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.